it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to 2023, the first show of the brand new year. We're so glad you're here. Uh, Alan West will be with us at the bottom of the hour. A lot to discuss there at the border, uh, along with some Texas contingents. I'm voting for Kevin McCarthy. What would he do if he was back in the House? We'll discuss that, along with what's happening in Ukraine. They might have killed up to 400 Russians. Now, I don't relish the death of Russian soldiers. I just don't. Many of which are there against their will. But I take them over Ukrainian civilians, and that's who they're aiming for. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What we saw is you saw the orange helmet of the opposite team player ram right into DeMar's chest. That is a clear blunt force trauma to the chest. That can put your heart into an arrhythmia. That can make your heart stop. And that may have happened, but not totally, not entirely. Stunning, scary, unprecedented. In a game among two of the NFL's best teams, we see a devastating injury that for a period of time was thought to be a fatality. As DeMar Hamlin takes a hit to the chest, stands and falls, we'll have the latest. As the game is canceled and the league, league has to figure out a way forward. Number two. I have legislation myself that would reinstate the remain in Mexico policies. I'm one of those people that's supportive of starting impeachment proceedings against uh, DHS Secretary Mayorkas if he doesn't do his job. Yeah, but he's not the problem. The president's the problem. An unrelenting border crisis got worse over the weekend, faces this nation. But in, in every state, the bigger question is, Will the president address it? Can a Republican House do anything to leverage against him? We'll discuss. Number one. I think the Republican Party right now is in the greatest danger of meltdown that it's been since 1964. I thought at least the House was going to be a sign of stability. And these five guys decided to go out as kamikazes uh, and see if they can't sink the whole Republican Party. And he's not kidding. Newt Gingrich. For Speaker, uh, Republicans have everything on the line as they vote for speaker today. And so far, Kevin McCarthy does not have the votes, as you heard Newt mention. We will follow this fast-moving, last-minute bargaining bonanza story. And I'll talk about the NFL in a second, but just about noon today, in in a few hours, we're going to hear uh, the first vote for majority speaker. So the majority will vote. And Nancy Pelosi had to do a harder job, I would say. And she had to lasso... With a five-vote margin, she had to lasso the squad, who does not agree with her in everything. What I find astounding about the Republicans who are not voting for the Speaker, they agree with them on just about everything. I mean, are they going to do investigations of the Biden? Absolutely. Are they going to demand accountability when it comes to Ukraine financing? Absolutely. Are they going to ever okay another uh, omnibus bill? Absolutely not. Kevin McCarthy voted against it. Are they going to have a border bill? Yes, Absolutely. Are they going to do an investigation in Afghanistan? It's all there. But instead, five hard-nosed, the uh, Speaker uh, 
McCarthy can only lose four. And 14 will withhold support. For the first time in 100 years, it seems, there will be a second vote needed. It's embarrassing. And it shows a weakness. And how much more will McCarthy have to cave in on in order to get the majority? And then the people that do it. What does Scott Perry want? Well, he wants to have assurances that Kevin McCarthy will never sign off on a bill that was just jammed down everybody's throat, the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill. He can't just say, I'm not going to vote for anything that ever comes down. Number two, this guy, Congressman Norman, been on the show before, said, I need to see a plan to lower the debt. He doesn't have a plan like that. Why don't you write it? You write the plan and see if the Speaker, Speaker McCarthy would sign off on it or get an indication. What does Matt Gate want? Well, he doesn't like him. Fine. He's a swamp creature. What, what, what about that matters? Swamp creature. Yeah, he's been around, around a while. He thinks he knows how to do it. Thinks he knows how to consolidate votes. He saw John Boehner's mistakes. He saw why Paul Ryan was turned off, and he wants to shot at it. He saw why Newt Gingrich was revolutionary, but he was ousted. Why is that? Maybe he's best equipped for it. Lauren Boebert sitting on the side. Okay. They, uh, Matt Gates, Boebert, and Scott Perry all met with McCarthy yesterday, and they're not going to vote for him. So here's more from Newt. Cut seven. So I hope in the next 24 hours that, that these, this handful of members will realize they don't have the moral right to reject the choice of 85% of their conference. They don't have the moral right to break up the House against the wishes of over 215 fellow Republicans. Uh, And I think it's a a remarkably short-sighted and candidly selfish position, and I don't understand where they're coming from. McCarthy's agreed to every policy they've asked for. The truth is that the Freedom Caucus has won a huge set of victories, and you have to say to yourself, if you got somebody and you give him everything he asked for and he still says no, is the problem him and not McCarthy? And I think that's where these guys are going to be end up. So Will Hurd, who we love on this show, former congressman, CIA guy from Texas, will probably be back. And I hope if there's a Republican administration in two years, I hope they have him do something significant. But he thinks the McCarthy, uh, he thinks McCarthy is really to blame here for a few reasons. Cut one. And let's be frank, if Kevin McCarthy is not able to pull this out tomorrow, he's not a martyr. This was his own doing and thinking that he could negotiate and cajole and sweet talk uh, the the far right. Um, it's just it's, it's it's not something that can be done. But he, and, but he, and, and that was done many years ago. And that was on CNN. And what I challenged the former congressman on is he did get the far right. Almost all the Freedom Caucus is voting for him. Jim Jordan voting for him. You know, I imagine Mark Meadows would vote for him. Uh, you know, you got other guys in the Freedom Caucus not going to vote for him because they don't like him. This guy, Bob Good, one of the reasons he's not voting for him, reportedly, is because he supported somebody else in the primary. That was called the incumbent. Every leader supports the incumbent. And then he gave him $2 million to win the general, and he won the general. But it took him too long to write the check. We can't be held up by selfish people like this. And I give Democrats credit. Because they realize, yeah, Nancy Pelosi is the old establishment. She's literally old. Uh, the old establishment, she's, she's not going li- to listen to a lot of all wild socialistic techniques. She's not going to go for the new Green Deal. But basically she did on a lot of this stuff. And they cut a deal behind Pelosi. Next thing you know, she had the votes. The story was over. It was probably a weekend story. But this has been a two-month story. And guess what? You can't blame Donald Trump. Donald Trump said Kevin McCarthy's a guy. Were you mad at him for coming up and speaking out after January 6th? Anybody who didn't speak after January 6th, I'm going to say almost killed, I think would be a little crazy. 
Lindsey Graham spoke up too, talked to the president, came down, looked at the circumstances, doesn't agree with the behavior, but is not going to totally abandon the president. Well, Kevin McCarthy looked at the behavior, said, I can't excuse it. Uh, the president should have acted differently, but went and met with him a few weeks later. They ironed some things out. He goes, fine. Means you can disagree with somebody, and I disagree with everything about January 6th and the way the president acted after, uh, after the election. It was his worst period. Had he handled it differently, no one would be running against him. He'd be about 70% approval rating. So we'll discuss that. Just before we go on break, and I want to take some calls on this. You might not be the biggest football fan, but more than likely, if you listen to this show, you are. And you know that two of the best teams in football were playing last night, Bengals against the Bills in Cincinnati, and at stake maybe the number one seed, along with Kansas City, in the uh, AFC, and at stake the number one game, the most watched game outside the World Cup and all the world, the Super Bowl. So a lot of people are watching two great football teams when uh, DeMar Hamlin went to make a tackle, uh, and when he was to make a tackle, he took an elbow to the chest or a shoulder to the chest. He stood up afterwards and fell back on his head, and immediately they end up cutting off his clothes. Uh, he went into immediate cardiac, cardiac arrest. His, they just told me his heart didn't stop beating, but, man, uh, it looked grim for a long time. It took him about 15 minutes uh, to get him uh, stabilized, they say. Right now he is being uh, left in a coma on purpose, with incubated to try to consolidate and try to eliminate any type of long-term damage that could have taken place. He's in critical condition, which in this case is good news. He's 24 years old, played at the University of uh, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, drafted by the Bills just two years ago, already starting. So here's what happened. At 8.55, they have the impact of injury. He goes down. 9.18, the game suspended temporarily. Ambulance leaves him with at 9.25, so that's 30 minutes. 10.01, the game officially postponed. Really never happened before that I know of. Here's Joe Buck at the time trying to make sense of what is going on. Cut 19. This went from a sports story to a news story from a sporting event to a matter of life and death like that. There was a moment when the medical personnel was all out there and we're standing up here and and unfortunately we've been through a lot of situations in games where we've stood up here and you're watching medical personnel make sure somebody's okay down on the field and you think they're going through a you know a blow to the head or something along those lines and it switched. It switched quickly. And it went from what is the typical everybody gather around, let's make sure this player is okay, to those who were on the field in his immediate vicinity administering CPR. So this term is coming up right now. It's trending everywhere. Commodio commodio cordis. And commodio cordis is a phenomenon which a sudden blunt impact to the uh, chest happens at just the right time, which is the wrong time, in absence of cardiac. uh, And what happens is in between beats, it hits. Uh, and it throws off the beating of the heart. Uh, the dad, the condition was first described in the middle of the 18th century, but it came into everyday vernacular in the 90s when a young man playing lacrosse and goalie took a lacrosse ball to the chest and stopped his heart from beating. He died. And if they had a defibrillator there, he would have lived. Now it's at every sideline in almost every youth game. Most people like me, when you go to coach, they make you go through a course with it. It's not hard to use. It's a way to jolt your heart and beyond CPR. They were able to use it, get to it, best medical screening with, I understand, a great hospital. Dr. Jeanette Neshwa thinks that's what happened. Cut 26. 
What we saw is you saw the orange helmet of the opposite team player ram right into DeMar's chest. That is a clear blunt force trauma to the chest. And like Dr. Siegel said, that can put your heart into an arrhythmia. That can make your heart stop. Um, so whenever your heart isn't beating properly, when it's quivering, when it goes into what's called ventricular fibrillation, you have to take action immediately within one to two minutes. Every minute that passes is a reduced chance of survival. And God bless the medics there on the field. They got to him immediately. They started CPR immediately because if your heart isn't beating properly, you're not getting blood flow to the brain, to the rest of your body. And that's when you faint. That's when you collapse. That can happen in just a matter of seconds. Still speculating right now, but if it's indeed the case, I talked to a doctor today who is chief medical uh, cardiac specialist at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And he said, then that means over the last next Two to three days, they got him in ice. They're going to try to limit the neurological damage that may have taken place, and then they'll gradually bring him out. 24 years old, evidently just a great guy uh, and a wonderful player. I don't know from an extra, less important, I get it, but I just don't know what the NFL does. Got to play the game. Can't cancel the season. It's a precedent, too, so sadly it's going to happen again, something like this. They're used to rescheduling things. Now we had Wednesday night football for a while. We had Tuesday night football. Uh, these two teams got to play for the playoff seating. Maybe they'll do something different. But again, you worry about precedent to a degree. You hope it doesn't happen, but it likely will happen, something serious. So what do you do? Do you push everything back, including the Super Bowl? I'm not sure that you can do that. We'll see. Less important his condition is. So what do you think about all this? Would you keep your son or daughter out of football now because of this? More and more girls are playing football. That's what football wants. It is uh, America's pastime, not baseball. Uh, and, you know, for the most part, uh, sadly, it has, happens more in baseball and lacrosse than it does in football, if it indeed is what many people speculate happened. Uh, unless there's a pre-existing condition, which may have eluded the best medical staff in football or, or around in the country. But think about the combines they have to go through. Think about the college programs they're through. Think about what they've done in the NFL, the checkups, the extensive looks. Um, so... If anyone has a pre-existing condition, it's hard to imagine them playing in the NFL. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Get ready for a great 2023. We'll have the biggest stories and the most important analysis right here. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, We have a lot to discuss today. Nothing's changed when it comes to the border. Actually, check that. It's gotten worse. Also, did you remember, I forgot this, air marshals were asked to go to the border. They ran out of people. The air marshals just put out a letter saying, do you realize that there's been an uptick in the number of threats and al-Qaeda and ISIS are more determined than ever to blow up American aircraft? Again, we're doing this. And what did we do? One of the things that George Bush put into place was Homeland Security. Obviously, TSA, overkill, obviously. Shoe bomber makes us take off our shoes. We know about all this. Box cutters, that's how lethal they could be. So now, with the greatest threat, uh, trying to reconstitute itself, we have our greatest defense at the border because the president won't fix it. And the vice president decided it was too hard a job for to, to her to even attempt it. Think about that for a second. 
before you even uh, judge what's going on. So Debbie Lesko says, okay, now as a congresswoman from Arizona, I'm going to threaten to take on Mayorkas. Mayorkas is useless. He stands for nothing. He should have resigned when he realized they had uh, they had no interest in securing the border, and that was his legacy uh, uh, on the docket. Cut 14 is Vince uh, Colliones. He's uh, the WMAL talk show radio host in primetime, also writes for The Daily Caller. Here's what he said yesterday about uh, what it would take to get Biden to pay attention. Cut 14. We already have laws on the book that say the border needs to be secured. It's not. And uh, as a result, people are pouring across. I guess really the question becomes how much does Biden's base become aware of the border crisis? Mm -hmm. Because right now they're ignorant of it. And the reason I say that is because Harvard Harris did a survey recently where they assessed that just 13% of the public is aware that more than 2 million people have crossed our border in the last year. The rest of the public, the plurality, say between 100 and 250,000 people. They're nowhere close. Just 3% of Democrats, according to Reuters, consider immigration to be their number one issue. Just 3%. Mm -hmm. This means that other than places like here, where Bill Malusian is doing great reporting on the border, by and large, there has been a blackout on the border crisis. We may be aware of it. There are so many Americans who are not. And as long as that continues to be the case, then Joe Biden can get away with this completely open border. Right, which is nuts. The Democratic mayor of El Paso now saying that we do need emergency help. We're being overwhelmed. And now with the Texas governor doubling, tripling down on the number of illegals that they're sending into the country. Uh, their city, by the way, El Paso City, uh, city Rep writes this letter to Biden pleading with him to visit the center of the border crisis and witness firsthand the failure of not passing comprehensive immigration reform. So they're still trying to be Democrats. We're never going to have comprehensive reform until the border secured, really secured, not phony secured. And this is what the president's going to do. He's probably going to try to do what the vice president did. Go to a place at the border, which is not crazy, and say, I've gone to the border. What they're saying in El Paso is come here. Come here. See for yourself. It's not a northern border problem. It's a southern border problem. Meanwhile, Texas is so desperate for a border barrier, they're laying out razor wire to stop the illegals, and they're doing it on top of some of the container ships, uh, uh, container things. Governor Greg Abbott uh, of Texas has bused more than 16,000 migrants to sanctuary cities. In D.C., they got 9,100. In New York City, 5,000. In Chicago, 1,500, and in Philadelphia, 840. They're all panicking. They can't believe they have to deal with this. You can't believe it. It's your Democratic president that's allowing this. Four million minimum have come here illegally. Four million people. Border Patrol understaffed, underfinanced. Taxpayer dollars going to NGOs. How could you not force your president to at least address this? Lieutenant Colonel Allen West will pick up that when we left off. Uh, and also talk about what's happening in the Ukraine war. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show, first one of 2023. So glad you're here. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The status quo cannot continue. Everybody knows that Washington is broken. Let's talk about what we can do to change what that is. I still can vote for Kevin McCarthy if we can come to an agreement that changes the status quo. Okay, then Congressman, been, the Congressman, Kevin Camp. Congressman, so that's number what, one. What no. is, hold on, hold on. What is the one thing you want? 
The one thing we want is to change how things are done here so we don't have the same outcomes like we just had well, a week and a half that, ago. That's too where broad. Congressman, that's too broad. What? At 2 o'clock in the give morning, sp- 4,000 pages. And then oftentimes our leadership in the Republican Party votes with the Democrat. We'll be happy to take anybody that agrees to these things. We'll right. take Jim Jordan. We'll take if Don Bacon's got a better candidate that will agree to these things. Let's let's talk about it. Let's well, do it. But we shouldn't have. We don't have to be where we are right now. Right. Well, that is uh, what happened this morning. Congressman Scott Perry's not going to vote for uh, Speaker McCarthy because uh, I would be speaker. He's in the speaker's office, but uh, the minority leader was going to be majority leader, which would be speaker. So why? Because he says I don't want him to sign off on things that, like where we were three weeks ago. Well, guess what? McCarthy came forward and said, I would never sign off. I urge you not to. We want to have control of the budget. Just get do a CR so we can actually work on the budget. But instead, it passed through the Senate. So I don't understand his argument. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West perhaps does. He's the American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director, former congressman from Florida. Uh, happy New Year to you, Colonel. Uh, yeah. Welcome back. Now, the, let the fight begin. And if just a few <laughs> hours, they're going to vote. What yeah. do you, th- what do you say to the people that don't want McCarthy? Well, you know, you have crossed the Rubicon, if I could use that that terminology. And, you know, you're right. Kevin McCarthy came out and said that any of the Senate Republicans that voted for that uh, omnibus spending package, that he would block any legislation that they would be pushing over on the House side. So he came out and said that. Of course, the Senate Republicans laughed at it, but he did make a a line in the sand. He did make a a definitive statement about that. I think the thing that a lot of people are concerned about with Kevin McCarthy is that he's been part of a a little mini cabal, if you want to call it that, going back to the days when he was in leadership under uh, Speaker Boehner and then also with uh, Paul Ryan, not exactly very strong conservative um, speakers for Republicans, and there are people that have trepidations about him you know, being in that position, but they should have done this 90 days ago, 120 days ago, instead of right now setting up a very embarrassing moment today. So, you know, my, my analogy was this. Uh, Nancy Pelosi had a much harder job. She had to tell, you know, she's, she's a Democrat, obviously, but she's mm-hmm. not a member of the squad. And there's about yeah. eight members of the squad, and she had a five-point difference. And th- those they all said, well, you know, we, we want to turn the page, we want new leadership. Well, she's 120 years old, and she convinced the squad <laughs> to get in line. So these yeah. Republicans are conservative. Though Kevin McCarthy's conservative, they just they, – they've asked for things dancing on the edges but nothing specific. It give, where's the – are you going to go against – are you going to put up something to seal the border? Yes. Are you going to do something to make uh, the money accountable in Ukraine? Yes. Are you going to have investigations into Hunter Biden? Yes. They even named someone to attack China, a China policy in Mike yeah. Gallagher. So I don't see any big divide. It seems to be an ego thing, Congressman. I have no patience for that. Well, I don't either. And I think that that's why I'm saying at this point in time, you know, people are very confused and perplexed about what they're holding out for. As you just saw in that interview, uh, we, we're tired of the status quo in Washington, D.C. Well, a lot of people are. But what specifically are you saying about Kevin McCarthy that you're not agreeing to when you just went down a list of things that he is going to have as agenda items, you know, hopefully in this first 100 days, but definitely in these next two years, which will set the conditions for 2024. This would be a very bad way to get started off in a Republican majority. And 
Nancy Pelosi did, you know, show leadership, and she brought together her conference with all of those varying factions that she has. But it does not bode well for the Republicans because yeah. this is the the message that will come out is that this is why the Republicans didn't get an overwhelming majority because they cannot uh, lead, they cannot show that they can govern because they're too much infighting of themselves, and so that's going to be the message if things don't go in the right way here in about what three hours when they vote for speaker right and the thing is how do you get leverage to make the president take notice of the border and do something we know it's a five alarm fire most Mm clear-thinking americans do but i was shocked to see that many democrats don't president doesn't talk about he wants it to go away thinks republicans using as leverage and will say things like i propose comprehensive immigration reform and they don't want to go along with it how do you get them to pay attention if you only have the House? Well, I think, again, that's the important part. The House, you know, by the Constitution, is really the keeper of the purse strings, and therefore you can put the financial and the budgetary pressure on the Department of Homeland Security. You now have the subpoena power to bring forth someone like uh, Mayorkas and really ask those hard and tough questions. And and I've been a firm believer. You've got to bring up uh, articles of impeachment against Mayorkas because he's lied to the American people about the situation on the border. And then as the Speaker of the House, you can go down there, and maybe you have a hearing down on the border. Maybe you have a hearing in McAllen. Maybe you have a hearing there in Eagle Pass or in Del Rio or out there in Arizona that brings, you know, the cameras down there to see what is happening. This is not about optics. It's not about politics. People are suffering. People in the border here in Texas are living in fear for their lives. I mean, we just recently had a woman who had a, uh, you know, illegals break into her home. And so we should not have that. And Joe Biden, with these policies, he's increasing a a fentanyl, a drug uh, crisis, a human and sex trafficking crisis, and everyone just wants to try to dismiss it. So I think it's important that they use the power of the purse strings and they use the ability to bring the attention to the border and force the media to do what they have not done, which is to report it. Uh, yeah, and now they want, to re- they want to report it by showing sympathy. I'll take anything, showing sympathy for the people just looking for a better life by coming here. If we wanted everybody, what everybody's life would be better by coming here, maybe uh, maybe uh, Prince William would probably happier in England. But besides that, everybody would benefit from coming here. That's not an excuse to come here. But I want to pivot, yeah. if I can, to Ukraine. And it mm-hmm. looks like there was a direct hit from our high Mars on a what looked to be a Moscow, some type of Russian academy. There could be between they've now 63 dead. But Telegram with some Russian reporting. Pro-Russian reporting says it's up to 400. Here's some of the reporting from another network, Cut 27. No matter who you believe, this is considered to be the most deadly single attack in the last several months by either side, maybe even since the beginning of the war. And that's why we've seen a fresh round of criticism from everywhere within Russia, all the way up from the top ranks in Moscow, all the way down to those Russian-backed officials in the Donbass region where this hit occurred. Because you mentioned, you know, those errors that it seemed like were committed by the soldiers who were there, by the senior officers who were uh, instructing them to stay in those makeshift barracks. Uh, We heard from the Russians in a rare admission that it was probably the cell phones that the soldiers were using to call home on New Year's Eve that gave away their position. That is just a rookie military error. Is he a war? I mean, I know you were in a non—maybe cell phones weren't as prevalent when you, were in, uh, when you were in Iraq and Afghanistan. But come on. You believe this is their lead—the Russian leadership is doing this? 
Well, look, they're going to be grasping at straws. And, you know, one of the things is, for whatever reason, they think it's okay for them to target indiscriminately. So, you know, women and children and civilians and infrastructure and try to cause people all sorts of privation. But these are military individuals that lost their lives. And this is a combat zone. This is a war zone. And Russia has been the aggressor. And look, if you remember back in the day when it was uh, Brian and the judge and I was calling you from Kandahar Air Base in Afghanistan, I mean, we had rocket and missile attacks that were coming in on us at Kandahar Air Base. So if you are in a, a combat zone, a war zone, and you are a military member, uniform member, you are, are a target. And they need to understand that, and especially if these are young Russian military officers, leaders, whoever, uh, soldiers that will be deployed into that region. Three straight days of Russian strikes, and not one of these drones have landed, two days, I should say. Not mm-hmm. one of those drones has, has hit their target. They were able to shoot them all out. That's a good sign that they're adjusting. Mm-hmm. Um, Very good. So, so and these are Iranian drones. Now, in your estimation, the Israelis have been sitting on the side because they want Russian cooperation when it comes to Syria. They want to be able to freelance and kill terrorists in Syria without the Russians saying anything. But now that Iran's involved with these with these cutting edge drones, don't they have to say we're picking sides now and it's going to be Ukraine? Yeah, I think they would have to do that because uh, what's the saying? The enemy of my enemy is my is my friend. Uh, If you have. Iran involved with Russia, then Israel has to see that Russia is really not their their friend. They are their enemy, and regardless of them turning a blind eye of what's happening in Syria, the most important thing we can do now is to try to decrease the sphere of influence of Russia, and and that means you know affecting them as far as their uh, energy uh, economic sector. And we have got to do what is necessary to cut off the ties that they have to these you know other actors. Be, be, and even China. I mean, what type of economic uh, actions can we take to separate China from Russia as well? So what is really amazing to me is you don't hear any of this strategic thought or, or any of these negotiations or, no. or any of these talks from the Biden administration. Why Why isn't our Secretary of State over there talking to Israel? Why isn't the Secretary of State or the Secretary of Defense talking about tougher actions and sanctions against you know Iran? I mean, what what are we doing? North Korea is spying missiles, Iran is supplying uh, drones, and now India is buying oil on a discount because they like follow this, and you know it. But at home, India fears China, uh, and Russia is an ally, sells them defensive weapons. They said, do me a favor, we'll give you a discount oil, keep buying it. And we don't seem to be pressing India to stop buying it. So this is just insane. That's why Japan is bulking up their military. South Korea has got to do the same. And we got to realize this world is breaking up into the good guys and bad guys. And we're the good guys. Very much so. It's a new axis of evil, if I could use that. Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. And don't forget the Islamic jihadists. I mean, you saw what just happened with the radicalized young man up there uh, taking machete to three New York police officers. So those enemies are still out there. And what I feel that they believe that they've got two years. They've got two years before their window of opportunity closes uh, because the Biden administration will eventually be rejected by the American people. But that comes back to what we began talking about today. 
Republicans have to show strength and they have to show the ability to stand up against this Biden administration or else things are going to get even worse on the international stage. So America cannot seem in this chaotic state right now that right. it is in uh, with our border, especially. Air marshals are now on the border working yeah. your southern border, and they wrote a letter to Mayorkas saying that there's more and more reports al-Qaeda is planning plane attacks uh, against the U.S. using techniques and tactics that they've picked up to be harder for uh, to, to be detected. And where are our air marshals? Not on Delta mm-hmm. or JetBlue. They're on the border processing people who are coming here illegally. So the air marshals are frustrated. They're angry. And now they're worried. And now we all should be worried. Uh, Congressman, yeah, so 2023, we set the table. We've covered more ground than any two people should be allowed to. It should be illegal. Um, thanks so much, Congressman. Great to talk to you. Lieutenant Colonel it's, Allen it's West, thank you. And, and remember, the basic law of physics, when you create a void, something will fill that void. And that's what's going to happen when we open up our air uh, airways to, to attack. I hear you. Uh, thanks so much, Alan West. Appreciate it. When we come back, I'll take your calls. one 408 Welcome to 2023. These are the challenges. Now let's get your thoughts. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 Thanks so much for uh, everyone staying with the show in 2022. We're in some great affiliates. Hopefully, you'll spread the word and make this continue to be the fastest-growing show in all the land. Matt in North Carolina. Matt, what's on your mind? Yes, sir, Brian. How are you doing today? Happy New Year. Uh, back at you. What's... I'm going to make this the fastest-growing show, uh, show on the air. I mean, not myself, but you already are. But anyway... I heard you talking about Mayorkas should be impeached, right? I, I think he's a soldier. He's a soldier for terrible policies from the president, but he's terrible. But go ahead. Exactly. Well, in my opinion, which I told Pete, your call screener, so should Biden for not fulfilling his oath of office to defend the United States. With the border and the horrible With part of Afghanistan. Everything, Brian, everything. So here's the thing, Matt. I understand the sentiment. I, th- I don't think he ever should have been elected. But I understand the sentiment. But just, just understand, I think he's doing a terrible job. But And I think he's, he's way past his prime, and I think he's going to run again. But you saw impeachment. Unless you have 60, unless you have two-thirds in the Senate, you are, it's a, it's, you're just spinning your wheels. Not one Democrat's going to be converted, and the whole country goes on hold. We can't afford that right now. What I would do is try to get maximum leverage, try to win over as many Democrats as possible to be able to get the border, uh, the border sealed up the best possible. And I would also look to bolster up our military to a high level and see if we can get together on cutting spending. Because with $32 trillion in debt, I think both sides are going to begin to realize that this is unsustainable. And with the amount of interest we're paying, along with the overall interest rates, Everybody's going to feel it. But going ahead with an impeachment is a waste of time. Thanks so much for the call. I understand the sentiment, but I I can't go through that again. It was so tedious. And if you watch it during the day, these guys just getting up. Donald Trump's terrible. Donald Trump's great. This is true. This is false. And everything stops. 
You don't fund the government. You don't push for new proposals. You don't handle the cartels who are flourishing, the trafficking that's happening at the border. It doesn't happen. The other thing you mentioned before about the Times Square attack. So this 19-year-old is radicalized. His own family reports him. Evidently, the FBI picks up on him. They think he is a radical. He's on the terror watch list, and still he's able to pull off a machete attack on the most secured area in the country, Times Square. Jonathan Gilliam, former FBI special agent, on what went wrong and who this guy is. Cut 32. Somebody who's being watched versus somebody who's being surveilled are two different things. We have to realize that if he's made threats in the past, then they'll they'll be keeping a, a watch over his social media. He could have had his phone tapped and there could have been uh, a, a an investigation going on with him that uh, they had closed already. I'm, I'm not sure about any of this stuff, but it may have led to them uh, not surveilling him on that night in particular, although I do think if it comes out that he was he was actually a target of the New York office and he was not followed or his whereabouts were not checked into that night, then that's a big problem. Because this is a major holiday. I don't know if you heard New Year's Eve, kind of a big deal in Times Square in New York City. So he was out. But it might he was radicalized online. This Al Qaeda influence is still there. The ISIS influence is still there. And that is why we can't take our hand off the wheel and can't stop pressuring uh, all areas to make sure that if something like this does happen, it's lone wolf. And if there's a lone wolf, we can stop one guy. It's the network things you have to worry about. And I bring you to a statement that I brought up to Colonel Allen Wester earlier, that air marshals wrote a letter to Mayorkas after reports show Al-Qaeda is planning attacks using new techniques and tactics in the sky. So they're saying, let me do our job. And because the vice president and president aren't doing their job and Mayorkas is allowing them to get away with it, we need air marshals on the border. From the Fox News radio studios in midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, first fresh show of 2023. So glad you're here. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Michael Goodwin in the vicinity, too, from the New York Post. Has a great national perspective about what's going on. Gary Myers will join us, one of the NFL's most respected writers, New York Times bestselling author, about what went down to the NFL last night and the unprecedented cancellation of a game in the first quarter. It was just a horrific scene. They made the right move. There was no question. Then we're lucky enough to do a simulcast on Varney and Company, and that'll be great. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What we saw is you saw the orange helmet of the opposite team player ram right into DeMar's chest. That is a clear blunt force trauma to the chest. That can put your heart into an arrhythmia. That can make your heart stop. Dr. Neshawat weighing in on what could have happened last night. Stunning, scary, unprecedented. In a game among two of the NFL's finest, we see a devastating injury that for a period of time thought to be a fatality, perhaps, as DeMar Hamlin, a 24-year-old sixth-round draft pick, takes a hit to the chest, stands, and then falls dramatically back. We'll have the latest. 
Number two. I have legislation myself that would reinstate the Remain in Mexico policies. I'm one of those people that's supportive of starting impeachment proceedings against uh, DHS Secretary Mayorkas if he doesn't do his job. He's not going to do his job. An unrelenting border crisis faces this nation. But in every state, not just the border states, the bigger question is, will the president address it? Will his party acknowledge it? Will they force his hand? Can the Republicans now in control of the House do anything to make him? Number one. I think the Republican Party right now is in the greatest danger of meltdown that it's been since 1964. I thought at least the House was going to be a sign of stability. And these five guys decide to go out as kamikazes uh, and see if they can't sink the whole Republican Party. And it might be as many as 14. He could only lose four. For Republicans, everything is on the line. On the line as they vote for a speaker in a few hours. And so far, Kevin McCarthy does not have the votes. He's got almost all of them, but he needs almost all of them. We will follow this fast-moving, last-minute bargaining bonanza. Michael Goodwin joins us now for the New York Post, full rights nationally, Fox News contributor. Uh, and, of course, you always love getting his insight. Michael, your thoughts about McCarthy's struggles? Uh, good morning, Brian, and Happy New Year. Um, look, I, I, it's a, it is, as Newt Gingrich said in that clip, uh, a very strange situation. I mean, it's not as though they have an alternative candidate who can muster anywhere close. It's not it's not a real election. I mean, Andy Biggs is running, but he doesn't have more than a handful of votes, apparently. So it's not clear to me. I mean, uh, unless they're just shaking McCarthy down for concessions and then intend to vote for him. But by this brinkmanship, I think uh, Gingrich is right. It it does uh, damage the party. I mean, it already has damaged the party. The, the focus should be on, I mean, as the, as the opposition party out of power, except for this narrow majority in the House, the focus should be on Joe Biden, his policies, uh, the investigation of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. I mean, all of these things, the situation in Ukraine. I mean, why has why Europe basically uh, stopped giving Ukraine money and ammunition? And it's only America now that's primarily uh, funding and arming the Ukrainians. Uh, so there are lots of issues to go after, to go after each other in this kind of circular firing squad just makes no sense. It makes no sense. And the thing is, as I brought up the analogy before, you know, Nancy Pelosi had the squad, and she didn't agree with the squad in almost everything. They took great pleasure in coming out and saying, this is the old regime, we want new leadership. So she was managed to say, okay, we're different, but can we agree that you, know, you should vote for me because it's our best chance? And they did it behind closed doors. I don't know what she gave up. You know, there's a few votes that didn't happen because they wouldn't have went along with it. I get it. And I'm not a fan of hers. I'm not even a fan of her legacy, even because I, not just because I don't disagree with her, because I just don't think anything she did was good for the country. But you have a bunch of conservatives who are saying be more conservative than Jim Jordan, be more conservative than Marjorie Taylor Greene, be more conservative than Steve, Steve Scalise. I, I don't understand it. They say we want to make sure we want guarantees that no omnibus bill will pass like it just passed. Okay. How about he came out against that bill last week, told the Republicans not to vote for it. Mitch McConnell ignored him. You're going to blame him for that? So I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. Well, that's right. I mean, I don't think there's 
any great principle here, look, for, for great principles to have meaning, they have to have some level of pragmatism. Otherwise, they can't be carried out. Uh, not everyone is going to agree with you. And when you find yourself outnumbered to this extent, it's, it's not heroism or principle that, uh, that keeps you from joining this. I mean, this is just a self-destructive uh, hubris. Um, you know, Brian. Uh, years ago, there was a, there was a saying about the uh, about the parties that the Democrats uh, fall in love and the Republicans fall in line. Um, now it seems to have been reversed. It's the Democrats who fall in line. I mean, just think of how the narrow majority, as you pointed out, Pelosi had just to get the speakership, and Schumer had in the Senate. But they, except for Manchin and Cinema, on an occasional piece, they got unity on everything they brought up. And when's the last time you heard a Democrat complain about the border? When's the, Never. I mean, other than Henry Quayar. Uh, and they uh, primaried him. Yeah, and no, none of them do. I mean, the Democrats are totally united. Now, I don't think that's good for the country. Terrible. I think it's terrible for the country. But nonetheless, it is the key to getting things done when you have such a narrow majority. And right. so the question becomes for these Republican holdouts, do you want a grandstand or do you want to get something done? Because if you screw this up and somehow a Democrat becomes speaker – I mean, good good luck with that. So, so Bob Good, who's upset that the that Kevin McCarthy financed his opponent, who happened to be an incumbent, and every leader does that, he wins, and he got $2 million from Kevin McCarthy to run his general election campaign. But he didn't get a call within two weeks. That's why he's against him. Listen to what he said to uh, uh, to Griff Jenkins Monday, cut four. Conservative pundits, conservative media – uh, has criticized Kevin McCarthy and the Republican leadership, Republican establishment all of these years. And yet they want us to now surrender to that and to vote for the status quo, to continue what we've always done. So we'll get what we've always gotten. Some of us came to Congress to bring true transformational change to Congress, to Washington. Oh We're willing God. to risk everything to save this country, to save the republic. We're teetering mean? on the brink as a country with an open border, with $32 trillion in national debt, a woke education system, a weakened military. And, and we know what we will get with Kevin McCarthy. So we're going to block that. Is he out of his mind? When did Kevin McCarthy ever come out against a uh, come out against an open border? He, I mean, go, come out against a strong border, a weakened military. He just they just held out for forty five billion more dollars to the military. He just this guy just makes no sense. He thinks he's running a general election. Well, it, look, uh, Brian, there has been criticism of McCarthy in the past, and I, I don't know the intricacies of a lot of these things uh, when it comes to, you know, what piece of legislation, what part of the legislation. But uh, I, 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 even if we concede that McCarthy has not been that rocked rib conservative that, that uh, people like Good and, and others want – Again, you come back to the practical reality. There is no alternative at this point. Andy Biggs, 
or Matt Gates or any of the others who are making these accusations, they have no alternative. There's no way somebody else is going to be speaker from a more conservative uh, McCarthy. It's it's right. it's McCarthy or it's the Democrats. I mean, that's effectively the choice here. I mean, I thought for for a while there maybe Scalise would be a compromise candidate, but I, I don't get that. I, I don't get that there's any coalescing around him. So I think this is a, so I say, a right. shootout in the lifeboat. So just real quick, uh, I, I do want to get to your column because everyone's looking forward to 2024 already, and they want to see what 2023 <laughs> is about. And basically your headline tells the story. Whatever you thought of Joe Biden, whatever you think of Donald Trump, not anymore. Let's not see this rematch, Right. Yeah, look, I, I think that there are good reasons in each of their cases why each party needs to move on. I mean, Biden, I just think, has been a singularly awful president. I mean, maybe the worst we've ever had. It's it's hard to imagine just the the domestic issues from the border and the inflation, uh, the crime wave that he's done nothing about. I mean, the, the energy policies alone. Uh, and, and then, of course, you have the world stage. Afghanistan. I mean, he, yes, he probably helped to unite NATO on Ukraine. But as I mentioned, the other countries now have no skin in the game. I mean, Germany, as it always does, just turns its head when their donation plate is passed. Uh, that's what's happened. The United States is now funding nearly everything that's happening in that war. Where is the leadership that says to NATO, hey, this is a war in your backyard? That's what NATO was about, was keeping you know, Europe intact. And here we are funding it. Once again, Trump was much better than Biden on that. Trump was better on the border. Trump was better on the economy. Trump was better in a lot of ways. But his post-presidency, starting with January 6th, has been a complete disaster. He is hemorrhaging support, and I think he is unelectable. I think he can never again get back those suburban voters, uh, the swing voters in swing states. Remember, he, he, won five, he lost five states in 2020 that had gone Republican in 2016. Some of them traditionally Republican states like Arizona, like Georgia, yeah. uh, P- Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, they all flipped to Biden. Now, yes, we can argue about uh, Mark Zuckerberg's money. We can argue about mail-in balloting and the way the Democrats did it. And you can go around you know, screaming forever, the election was stolen, the election was stolen. But How come so many Republicans won if Trump lost? I mean, I just think it's a dead end. And the candidates who who were burdened with that, who made the deal for his endorsement, if if it was it was a litmus test. If I endorse you, you have to say the election was stolen. That was the deal that was made. Those candidates, particularly in the Senate, they lost. They lost in, again, all of the swing states. And so that he has turned the Senate to the Democrats in for four years effectively now because they sh- Republicans should have should have won the Senate in the last go around. So, look, I think Trump is is the history uh, books, as I think Biden should be. And look, if he, if Biden says he's not running, which I think is a 50-50 chance of that, Brian, uh, 
Kamala Harris then is on her own, and she has to run if she wants to. And I don't think she's electable even as a nominee. So I think big changes are coming. Finally, I would just say my third wish for 2020 is America get a media it can trust again. I know. And and that, I think, is the longest of the long shots. Well, I'm biased. I'm willing to admit it. But for the first seven straight years, it's not only been the number one news channel, the number one channel uh, in all of cable, uh, Fox News, yeah. uh, somebody they can count on. Uh, that's part of the reason why people watch The Five. No one's agreeing. Uh, while people watch Outnumber, no one's agreeing. Uh, why, uh, you know, the, the 11 o'clock and the 8 o'clock are totally different. If you look at Sean Hannity, he thinks the Ukraine, like I do, is a, is a war worth financing and supporting. And Tucker doesn't, and I don't think Laura does. But, I mean, you don't have to flip the channel. You cannot get any different thoughts than any other channel. But uh, real quick, the one thing I was just going to give credit to Trump on this. He was right on this. One of the big problems Republicans had is when, it, when they won, they won the pro-life lobby won, and they got their Supreme Court justices, and they got Roe v. Wade overturned. They had no message. They ran and hide. They had no message to push back on it. And the ones that did, like Rubio, were successful. The ones that didn't, and the RNC, they had no message. Number two is he did predict the stock market would crash under Joe Biden, and he's doing that. And now the housing bubble will be the next thing because interest rates are going up so high. And the spending has gone through the roof, and he's predicted that. Uh, And he says, I don't back off going after the cartels. He wanted to actually attack the cartels in Mexico, and he said, I don't back off that. If he, Abrador was a fan of his— we got to start killing the people that are killing us. And it's fentanyl and it's the cartels while putting the screws to China. So a lot of stuff he would have done would have been effective if it wasn't for the old decision on January 6th and the way he acted post-presidency. I hear you. Yeah, look, I, I, I think I, I agree with you. I, I think he was a good president in many, many ways. I mean, the, his, the Abraham Accords, I mean, historic, historic events. Uh, he gets no credit. The, the media, of course, the Democrats and the media amplifying the Democrats' complaints, which are fundamentally partisan. And that's what we've lost. We've lost a fair media. And that is, to, that is a shame. And so you have right. the Democrats not being held to account, uh, certainly by their own party, but, but by the media. And that is the great corruption that's happened in this country. Remember, and that yeah. is, is the most important thing, to bring back some semblance of civility and a center to this country that, from which the parties can govern from the center. New York that's Times, what, yeah, New York Times broke the email scandal with Hillary Clinton, and they also did the Bill Clinton-Lewinsky scandal. So that, that would never happen today, I don't believe. No, that's right. That's because it would have happened already with Joe Biden. Uh, yeah. Hey, Michael Goodwin, always great, always insightful to get your columns in the New York Post. Always love having you on. Great. Uh, it'll be a great 2023. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. When we come back, the latest on the health of uh, an NFL player who is just getting into his prime and now fights for his life. You'll find out that story when Gary Myers joins us. But your call's next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmead coming up. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Hey, we're back. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. So I don't. We have not discussed it in great length, but in a moment, um, we're going to speak to an NFL insider who's been writing pro- probably for the league for forty years, and never have we seen anything like it—an injury so bad they stopped the game and did not continue it, especially a game that matters so much uh, that they has to be played. Eventually, it has to be played. So you're talking about the Bengals. And you're talking about the Bills and at stake the number one seed in the playoffs. And DeMar Hamlin takes a critical hit. He basically went into cardiac arrest on the field. They had to rip off his clothes, get a defibrillator in there, as well as offer uh, to uh, CPR to revive him and and uh, and, re- and rejolt the heart and probably get it on, uh, get it in sync for a, a layman's term for something serious. And then I was talking to a cardiologist on Fox and Friends today. And they said they most likely going to keep him for two or three days. They could keep him in a forced coma because they want to ice it down to limit the neuro- neurological damage that could have been done uh, by the hit to the chest that hit the heart at just the wrong time, which is the right time for them to suffer what he suffered. That's the early prognosis from the outside. We should get more on that. And we'll see what the NFL plans are doing. when Gary Myers joins us. And then I'll do a simulcast on Stuart Varney on FBN. So you'll finally get a chance to see what I look like. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Here's Hammonds wide open to midfield and lowers the shoulder for 13. Now another Bills player is down. And that is DeMar Hamlin. Well, this is the last thing you want to see as they brought the stretcher out. They have that backboard out. DeMar Hamlin is the one who was in on that stop on T. Higgins. And then he got up and just went right back down to the ground. Not what any of us want to see, and everybody's around him, and we just hope that he's going to be okay. Well, he's not. We we hope eventually he's going to be okay, but he had to be taken from the field in an ambulance within an hour. The game, we've never seen anything like it, gets postponed, and then we finally find out that uh, he is now in critical condition, which, believe it or not, in this case, is not the worst news possible. Gary Myers joins us now, NFL insider, New York Times bestselling author, author of a new book called Once a Giant, coming out in September this year. Gary, welcome back. Brian, how are you? Happy New Year. Uh, same to you. Um, so what, what could you tell us about his condition? Well, I, I just really know what everybody else knows, that um, he, was, he was taken to the hospital and he was intubated. Um, it sounds like he was placed in a medically induced coma, Um he suffered cardiac arrest from what appeared to be blunt force trauma to his chest. Uh, I've had some doctors, friends of mine, you know, text me, and obviously they have not examined him. They're not privy to the inside information on this case. But apparently when you, you suffer blunt force trauma to the chest at the wrong point of the heartbeat, um, this could happen. It's very rare. Um I've read stories, and I'm sure you have too, Brian, over the years, of little kids playing baseball, getting hit in the chest with a baseball, and something like this happens. Um, You know, quite frankly, just hearing this from my doctor friend, um, I'm thankful but also a little bit surprised that it doesn't happen more often. This is such a brutally violent sport of 
it's you know people used to call football a contact sport. It's not. It's it's a collision sport. It's it's train wrecks. You know, a hundred times a game of these guys running into each other, and um, you yeah. know, thank goodness, you know, it doesn't happen more often. I, you know, I was at two games covering for the for the Daily News during the course of my career there, where players got paralyzed at games I covered, and it's it's terrifying. And the big thing is this time they did not continue the game. Here's the announcement: right. cut sixteen. The league is going to officially suspend play for this evening. And they will get with the teams and they will try to find a date or whatever their next move is. But for this evening, uh, the game is officially suspended. The game will not be played this evening. So at 8.55 was the injury. 9.18, game game was suspended. 9.25, ambulance leaves the stadium with him, with DeMar. At 10.01, the game officially gets postponed. First they said five minutes. They said no way. What I found interesting is reportedly the Bengals – uh, coach, as well as uh, their quarterback, walked into the Bills locker room and talked to Coach McDermott and said, listen, you guys don't want to play, right? We're done. And they really decided, and they then they got the commissioner on the phone to say what they decided. They weren't going to wait for the league, but the league was never said they would never consider playing. Yeah, the story that was coming out that, you know, they told the players they had five minutes to warm up. Um, I was reading some quotes from Troy Vincent this morning who you know, the head of football operations in the league. And he said that was never a conversation that he had with Goodell and that they never considered playing the game. I think people are getting a little too hung up on the fact that an hour after the injury is when they announced the game. Yeah, I'm not either. I agree. It's a waste of time. But one thing is pretty clear. Uh, We hope to hear something today. Yeah. Uh, about that, that you know, the the fact is, they had a, he was in cardiac arrest, and they basically restored his heartbeat. Although they right. said his heart never actually stopped, so they want to minimize the any type of neurological damage, so they could keep him on ice, almost as if he was paralyzed. But the mm-hmm. medical stuff aside, I'm just wondering, have we been down this road before? The pandemic changed everything. We had Wednesday night football, Tuesday night football, Friday night. Everyone was changing. You'd fill in on your off of your off week. We have no more room in the in the season. How do you play this game? That is a great question. Um, If they're going to try to get it in without extending the regular season, which I don't see how they can do that, um, I was thinking that maybe tomorrow night they potentially could play and then they can play again on Sunday. If you remember during the pandemic year, the Steelers and the Ravens actually played a Wednesday afternoon game. That had been postponed many times, um, and I believe they played the following Sunday. I'm not 100% positive about that. I'd have to go back and look that one up for you. But um, you know, the fact that um, the division, the NFC North—I'm mean, sorry, the AFC North title—is on the line. The number one seed in the AFC is still at stake. Um, they, they can't just like say, "Okay, the game's not going to be played." Or it's going to be a tie, or, or I mean, for the integrity of the competition, um, they have to get this game in. I think that's like somewhat secondary right now, true, to Hamlin's health, obviously. But there is, a, there has to be a, a, a factor. I mean, a, a faction rather of the NFL office right now that is working um, vigorously to try to figure out how to get this game scheduled, and I don't. Unless you just play them on short rest. Um, going, yeah, you know, Gary, just for the record, night. for the record, it seemed the Ravens played on Tuesday and the 
Steelers played on Monday after that Wednesday night game. Okay, good. I'm glad you looked that up. So they had a little bit more time, um, you know, pro- possibly, you know, because there was no Monday night game scheduled in the final week of the season. Um, they can play tomorrow and then have those teams come back, you know, Monday or Tuesday. Now, if, if one of them then has to play in the – one of them will have to play in the wild card round because the only team that gets to buy is the number one seed – then they're going into the playoffs on a short week, which is a disadvantage. But Brian, in the scheme of things, uh, considering we're talking, we're talking about life and death of a player. Um, if one team has to be inconvenienced by playing on a short week, which they do all the time during the regular season, um, then that's the least of it. I'm sure the NFL is going to figure this out and just have to rearrange the schedule a little bit, but uh, it's not like they can just say, okay, um, that game's not going to be played just because of the ramifications it has on so many different things. Yeah, uh, I just it's all so unprecedented. Um, and you mentioned that everyone's on the same page, and then they got to realize too with the pandemic. I was surprised how how malleable the players and and owners were, and they would play in front of no fans, so it didn't make it that hard. Right. Make it a lot easier. You don't have to worry about ticket sales and parking attendants and concessions and. Uh, medical staff and everything like that, you just show up with your team. It was almost like sandlot ball. So this would be a little bit more complicated. And I fully realize if people are listening to us, we're not being callous. We know the main focus, but we just also know that the other major story is the most successful league in the country where millions bet, where millions get paid, where millions pay, Mm -hmm. where people pay thousands to watch at home. The game's going to go on. Um, maybe not the same vigor, maybe with a new consciousness and more respect, but the game's going to go on. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, on the priority list, just to reiterate what you just said, Brian, obviously the health of the, of the player, the human being with his mom in the stands, I can't even imagine what she was going through. That is by far and away the biggest priority. But we, you can't ignore the, you know, the situation that the league is in of – we're at the, right at the end of the season. The playoffs start in less than two weeks, and they have to get this game in. So, um, again, not close to being the first priority here, but a, a consideration that I guarantee you the legal office right now is working very hard with the Bills and the Bengals to try to figure this out. And the other thing that you have to consider is how quickly, you know, I'm suggesting tomorrow, but if we don't know – Hamlin's condition by then, are the players going to be in any frame of mind to go back back on the field so soon? Uh, I don't know the answer. This is this is totally you know unprecedented, unprecedented. And I, I was, you know, I I felt that Roger was going to do the right thing last night all along. That it was clear that uh, they couldn't continue that game. But Brian, I was at that Dennis Bird game, and and, and that was. I'm not going to rank in degrees of how scary situations are. But they played. But but that was frightening. I mean, he wasn't moving. I know. And and they kept playing. They got him off the field, and they played the game. Daryl you know, Stingley I, I, in the I, '70s. Exactly. And um, you know, then I was at the game in in '97, the final game of the '97 season in Detroit, when you know Reggie Brown uh, of the of the Lions was paralyzed, and they gave him CPR on the field. And they were yelling, um, "He stopped breathing." And they yeah. play, and they play. So listen, uh, Gary, I got to run, but I look forward to your book, Once a Giant, out in twenty twenty three. 
We'll definitely have you on, and we'll continue to follow this story. Gary Myers, NFL insider, New York Times bestselling author. Thanks, Gary. Take care, Brian. Thank you. You got it. We're going to do a simulcast with FBN, with Varney and Company, in just a moment. Talk more about this and a little on Elon Musk. Get ready to queue up the Fauci files on Twitter. That should be interesting. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. All right, welcome to 2023, everyone. Thanks so much for putting the Brian Kilmeade Show on the things to listen to list. We're about to do a simulcast on FBN with uh, Stuart Varney, and I do this every Tuesday for uh, probably the last five years. Always appreciate it. And if uh, if past is, uh, is like it has been... Uh, if I can learn anything from it, we'll be able to take some calls on the backside of this. We'll talk a little about what's going on in football, a little about Elon Musk, and what's going on with Twitter. Let's listen. Eastern time, and you know what that means? It means Brian Kilmeade will miraculously appear. There he is. Look, Brian, a play on the bills, Damar Hamlin, critical condition, cardiac arrest after collapsing during the game on Monday night. Medical personnel had to give him CPR on the field. This is terrible news, Brian. Do we need to protect players more? And if so, how do we do it? Well, it depends on what it is. I mean, early speculation for people in the know, the cardiologists from the University of Pittsburgh, uh, we have others uh, like Dr. Neshwat seem to think it is something that happens very rarely but does happen when when your heart beats and somehow you're hit in between beats. At that time, he goes to cardiac arrest. And when someone stands straight up after a hit and then falls backwards almost unconscious before they hit the ground, that is telltale of what happened. The good news is there's a, there's a defibrillator right there on the field in the best medical staff in the country. And there's always an emergency center ready to go anytime an NFL team is playing a game in any area, in any city, big or small. And that's what you had, a cutting-edge medical facility. So the 24-year-olds got every chance in the world to survive. And the question is how much damage was done, and what actually happened. As Jim Gray brought up, I thought of insightfully last night, that it's very rare to somebody have a pre-existing condition with people so heavily tested. This guy's two years out of college football. The combines give you every test under the sun. It's actually as callous as it sounds. You're an investment. You're about to spend, was going to spend $12 million on you. At least you got to kick the tires, and that's having a thorough test on things like, like the heart. This seemed to be the type of thing that happens more in baseball and lacrosse where balls are thrown and can hit you directly in this area. And if it does happen, we heard from a, uh, a heart surgeon today that for a couple of days you might keep him on ice and incubated and in a coma in order to make sure his nerves have a chance to fully heal. What a story. What a story. All right, Brian, let's move on. Elon Musk teasing the release of new Twitter files this week. He says the files could relate to information on Dr. Anthony Fauci. Okay, Brian, what will, when these files are released, what is the big deal here? Is it whether or not COVID came from the Wuhan lab? Is that the story? I think you're going to have what Fauci was doing behind the scenes in order to make sure people have different view from him. And his view kept changing depending on who he's being interviewed with, but always against Trump and always pro shutdown, no handshaking, don't leave your house without four masks and goggles. So anybody, what he was doing behind the scenes to make sure the contradictory opinions in science where they're supposed to have contradictory opinions, 
uh, were squelched. And whatever's on Twitter revealed, you know, it's to the 10th power when it comes to Facebook. Think about it, Stuart. We already know about the email exchanges that Fauci uh, was having with certain members of the media, certain members of power, certain political figures, certain people in the medical community to make sure contradictory views weren't put forward. Dr. Bakhtiara, we know from Stanford, other reprimanded people. He looked at Dr. Atlas as the enemy inside the Trump administration. What was he doing on social media? Remember, Joe Biden walked up to the cameras and said the message to social media, stop printing untruths. You're killing people. Well, the bigger question is what now, two and a half years later, what are untruths? Can you get it outside? No. The cloth mask work? No. Can you shake hands? Yes. Do, can it, can it uh, be picked up on services? No. Everything that Fauci was telling us, flip-flopping on, it looks as though they had tentacles into social media to make sure his mood of the day and his yeah. axiom of the present was not uh, underlined uh, or there was no contradictory views. And that's when we're going, people are going to realize that Anthony Fauci has two sides. People don't want to see it. He looks like the grandfatherly figure of the Phil Rizzuto uh, that everyone liked from the money store, the outstanding shortstop of the Yankees. Everyone thought he was great. But when you find out behind the scenes, he was a different story. And I can't wait to see him answer some of these questions. We're going to find out this week with the uh, Twitter files, I think. All right, Brian, thank you very much indeed. See you again soon. Happy New Year to you, lad. Go, okay. go get him, Stuart. Thank you. you All right, three minutes down awesome. before the top of the hour. And we uh, can expand a little bit on what's going on with Twitter, essentially. He came out and did tweet, and he's calmed down to his credit. Uh, and he says he, I don't know what's going on with the money-wise, but evidently they're not paying their rent and they're not paying for janitors. You talk about cutting the budget, but you are the richest man in the world or one of. Can you write a check from your checking account and just pay for a janitor to clean the place up? But basically the Twitter files are being squelched or told to be non-stories, a big nothing burger. The only reason you think that uh, out there, MSNBC, CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, because you don't want it to be. Because in reality, it's even a bigger story than you really thought. And you talk about what was going on with the FBI behind the scenes, too. Elon Musk uh, teased that, what he just brought up. He tweeted this out. One thing's for sure, it will not be boring when it comes to 23. Juanita brought 2023. Juanita Broderick tweeted in response to Musk waiting for the hashtag Fauci files. And then Fauci um, Musk came back and said later this week. So we'll see how that goes. If you're Musk, you want to get maximum publicity. You don't want to do it. With the speaker race going on, a brand new Congress being uh, gaveled in, what you want to do is I think the first thing they'll do as soon as they pick a speaker is look to rescind the stunning, unacceptable 87,000 new IRS agents that came with the Ridiculous Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't reduce inflation. So Twitter right now is also being sued for not paying rent in San Francisco. We'll see what happens. I was listening to a podcast with Mark Cuban on it and John Stewart on it and others. And they say that they try to diminish what Elon Musk has done and try to categorize him the way they do Donald Trump, a crazy entitled billionaire. And he's none of that. And Mark Cuban wouldn't have any of it. And people that know him know it's not true. He did everyone a big service. Everyone. Because we got to just get, get clear on the fact that if, the, if you're comfortable with the FBI going on social media and deciding who should be pushed forward, who should be shadow banned, and who should be banned, period. I'm not. Uh, word is Facebook's going to be looking at Donald Trump in the next couple of months and may try to reinstall him, which would help him in his run for president again. 
from high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome to 2023. Hope you had a successful uh, week off, maybe, if you were able to do that, or at least a night off to celebrate on New Year's Eve in New York City. Of course, it came off without a hitch. I can't really say that, though. A 19-year-old terrorist, as radical Islamist, had a machete with him. You know, you like to bring everything to the city. And went after two cops, one of which was their first day. So New York was not crime-free, never is. It was a rash of crime that was happening but on uh, Midtown Manhattan looked great, and I, I guess Planet Fitness was the big sponsor there. We took our show, Fox News, and went over to Nashville. So I think that was a great move, too. Uh, that is our hotbed, even though we're located 48th and 6th. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What we saw is you saw the orange helmet of the opposite team player ram right into DeMar's chest. That is a clear blunt force trauma to the chest. That can put your heart into an arrhythmia. That can make your heart stop. Right. And that could have what uh, could might have been just what happened. But it was stunning. It was scary. It was unprecedented. In a game among two in the NFL's best, we see a devastating injury that for a period of time was thought to be a fatality. Damar Hamlin takes a hit to the chest, stands and falls. We'll have the latest as the game is canceled and a league figures a way forward. Number two. I have legislation myself that would reinstate the Remain in Mexico policies. I'm one of those people that's supportive of starting impeachment proceedings against uh, DHS Secretary Mayorkas if he doesn't do his job. But he never does his job because he's not allowed to do his job. And an unrelenting border crisis faces this nation. But in every state, the bigger question is, will the president address it? Can a Republican House have the leverage to make him do something at the border? Number one. I think the Republican Party right now is in the greatest danger of meltdown that it's been since 1964. I thought at least the House was going to be a sign of stability. And these five guys decided to go out as kamikazes uh, and see if they can't sink the whole Republican Party. Yeah, there it is. For Republicans, everything is on the line as they vote for Speaker today. And so far, Ken McCarthy does not have the votes. We will follow this fast-moving last-minute bargaining bonanza. I don't really know what they expect from McCarthy because McCarthy has said, I'm going to investigate Joe Biden. I'm going to investigate the Biden dealings, not just Hunter. I'm going to get rid of the 87,000 IRS agents uh, that they should be border agents to somehow control the southern border. And they're going to talk about uh, doing investigations on what happened in Afghanistan, as well as the president's interest in China that he has. So these things are going to go forward. But if you don't have a speaker, it's not going to happen. Stephen Mosher is not waiting for the political process to, uh, to play out. He knows the danger of China, and he knows what, we're doing, what they're doing right now in kissing up to Saudi Arabia. He's the author of Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order and the Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. Steve, welcome back. Well, good to be back with you, Brian. Uh, so first off, I saw you calm. I watched when China go over to Saudi Arabia, and they had a meeting. I know China wants the oil, and I guess to a degree— Saudi wants the business, or are they just trying to get us jealous and worried? 
Oh, they want more than just the business. They, they've got the oil under control, right? They, they can control the spigot. They can turn it on and off. They don't have to sell it today. They can wait to get the highest price from the highest bidder. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a buyer's market. And China is a beggar when it comes to oil. It's a resource-poor country, has very little oil and natural gas and coal itself. So it needs Saudi Arabian oil. It doesn't want to be dependent solely upon Russia, by the way. So it wants Saudi Arabia to turn on a spigot. And in return, get this, Brian, in return, the, Sa- the Saudis now have been promised by Xi Jinping that, that China will share its nuclear technology uh, with the Saudi Arabia government. Now, does Saudi Arabia want nuclear technology? Absolutely. It's tried to get it from the United States for decades. We've said, no, you don't need it. We will guarantee your security. Well, under Joe Biden, that guarantee looks very, very wobbly, right? I mean, the slow rolling disaster that is the Biden administration uh, has struck everywhere in the world. Uh, You're going to talk about Afghanistan, I know, on and off. Uh, We're going to talk about it for years, the disaster. Uh, It has sent shockwaves through all U.S. allies around the world, including the Saudis. I think they want their own nuclear weapons, and China is uh, promising that if they abandon the dollar and go to the yuan, the Chinese currency, the renminbi, accept payment in in Chinese currency and abandon the petrodollar, that uh, they can get nuclear technology from China. China is a proliferator. China has given nuclear weapons to Pakistan before. Uh, I think the only reason North Korea has nuclear weapons is because of Chinese technology transfers, and I think it would be happy to do that with Saudi Arabia too. So the world is shifting under our feet, Brian. The yeah, because you vilified. Yeah, they, order is gone. Joe Biden ran yeah. by vilifying, uh, vilifying Saudi Arabia as if we don't realize the downside to Saudi Arabia. But strategically, they were a partner. Strategically, they helped set up the Arab, uh, the uh, the Abraham Accords. Strategically, they provided oil and gas, and we got we would, had them worried by our oil production and our fracking. So there was a mutual respect there to a degree. And when Joe Biden won, ran, ran and won on it, they basically called his bluff. And he ended up going over there begging and got nothing in return. And now they're opening up the door, the spigots to China. Why does China want to use their currency? Oh, well, China wants to destroy the dollar. I mean, look, one of the one of the signs of one of our great strengths around the world is that so many countries use the dollar as a reserve currency. They invest in in U.S. stocks and bonds, They invest in U.S. Treasury bonds. Countries like Ecuador and Peru use the dollar on a daily basis. You travel in South America, uh, they use the dollar more than they use their, their local currency. So that gives the dollar stability. It gives it strength. It makes America and Americans more powerful and respected around the world. China wants to destroy that. You know, they've got a formula. They calculate the political power, the economic power of every country in the world, and they now calculate they're in second place, and they desperately want to be in first place. And if they can destroy the dollar as the international currency of choice and replace it in holder part with the Chinese yuan, then they will have, have made great strides towards achieving that goal. So, uh, they want to be number one, and they want us to be – well, they don't want us to be number two. They want us to be number three or four or five or ten. Under their right. Heel. Yeah. Good luck with Russia being number two. Uh, they've shown exactly they are they're a hollow giant. Steve Mosher, our guest, president of the Population Research Institute, best-selling author of Bully of Asia: Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order and the Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. Steve, uh, this is what he, people should understand too. We're in New York. I know a lot of nine eleven families listen, and we appreciate it. We support them, but people should understand too. Saudi Arabia has done a lot to quell the Islamic extremist threat. It'll never be a great democracy. I mean, they thought it was a great movement letting women drive. 
So we obviously can't put our values on them. But strategically, they are a hedge against Iran. They rocketed Iran under the Trump administration. So we gave them Patriot missiles to guard against the next attack. They are a hedge against Iran. That's where we see real politics. That is where we see an ally. But the president threw that in the street with all his years of experience. What I find unbelievable, we should point out that the Uyghurs are Muslim and the Uyghurs are in concentration camps. They're being broken. They're being forced to disavow their religion. And in with a place where Mecca is and Medina is, they said, oh, it's OK. We're over that. We'll still do a deal with you. It shows the lack of sincerity on their fervent belief in Islam. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Saudi Arabia royal house prides itself as the guardian of the Muslim faith, right? It's got the two holiest cities of Islam, Mecca and Medina, right there. And yet uh, the Uyghurs are being destroyed in China. They're a Muslim minority, 10, 12 million of them. Uh, the Uyghurs are being subjected to genocide. Uh, the uh, All kinds of horrible things are going on in uh, in western, eastern Turkestan, which is western China. Uh, the slow-rolling destruction of the Uyghurs, uh, you know, Mike Pompeo called it genocide. It's absolutely genocide. Uh, you've got Uyghur men locked up uh, by the millions in labor camps. You've got young Uyghurs of both sexes sold to coastal factories. Uh, in, in lots of a hundred, Brian, in lots of a hundred, they're sold to coastal factories uh, as, as virtual slave labor, not allowed out except on Sunday afternoons for a few hours under escort. They have their own police with them. Uyghur women are being sterilized. Uh, they're being aborted. The Uyghur, the, the Chinese authorities have abandoned the one-child policy. They're now encouraging uh, the Han Chinese majority to have three children. Uh, nobody's, nobody's buying it, but they, they are encouraging that. And yet at the same time, Uyghur right. women are being sterilized because they think that minorities have too many children. So, so, uh, then the Uyghur children who are born are sent to boarding schools uh, to be taught in Chinese, uh, not allowed to speak their native language, which is Turkish. Uh, in other words, they're, they're raised to think of themselves as Chinese and not Uyghur. So Money uh, this speaks. is genocide in real time. And the Saudis apparently didn't even mention it. Of course, we can hardly bring ourselves to mention it as well. And you, you, you respect. I can't use Joe Biden and respect in the same sentence, Brian. Well, I, not only that, he doesn't. Even, he actually doesn't even have experience, which is crazy. And we know, and 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 one can conclude that without our the weakness that we, we in leaving Afghanistan, there probably would have been no invasion in Ukraine, and that's the war we're financing right now. And now a lot of Republicans are getting uneasy with the financing. To me, it's a major enemy. Let's not make two mistakes because we made one. Steve, the good news for us is that the Chinese are hurting economically. Their philosophy of taking away successful companies and nationalizing them has left a huge unemployment gap for for the next generation, 18 to 25. The fact that they can't control COVID, whether it's a zero lockdown or they let it up and it spreads, also continues to hurt uh, them around the globe and stops their economy from flourishing, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean— uh, communism is 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 uh, Xi Jinping's dream, right? And he's now president for life. He's got a third term. He'll never leave office while his heart is beating. They'll have to carry him out. Uh, but communism is his dream, and communism always collapses from its internal contradictions. It may cause a heck of a lot of havoc on the way down the drain, of course. Uh, so we have to watch out for that. And I'm 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 concerned that we're giving a hundred billion dollars to Ukraine. We're going to loan Taiwan two billion dollars. Now, I think I think we should be arming Taiwan to the teeth because I'm very worried Absolutely. about losing the major chip production facility in the world is located on the island of Taiwan, defended by 24 million 
free Chinese who are willing to fight to defend their island. They just need the weapons to do it. We ought to be giving them those weapons. Absolutely. So the thing is, too, uh, and they're willing to fight, and I'm sure the Chinese are looking at the Ukrainian situation and say there's something about a group of people fighting for their homeland and for their lives that make them better fighters. This is a total unnecessary conflict. It's He's just looking for a conquest, possibly to get people's minds off uh, how horrible it is in their country. Steve, now that they got off the zero COVID policies, I understand the demonstrations are still taking place. Is that what your reporting shows? Yeah, absolutely. I hear from people in China uh, every day, and they're, they're very upset about the government because they've been locked down for three years, of course. But they're very upset for many other reasons. I actually got an email from a friend in Beijing who said, I live in the communist-occupied part of the Republic of China. Uh, for people who don't understand what that means, is he still longs for the government that was in place in China, in mainland China, before the communists took over in 1949. So there's a lot of, of, of unrest right. in China today. Uh, you know, the, the Chinese Communist Party spends more money on internal security, on its internal security forces, than it does on external defense. And that's saying a lot because they spend a couple hundred billion dollars a year so, building so, ships and planes and tanks. Steve Moshe with us now, a China expert, wrote a book about it. So why is um, so? How would you explain China continuing to have these meetings with Vladimir Putin, even though he looks weaker by the day, physically as does his army? What, why does he keep on saying that how, how strong that alliance is? Well, because China wants uh, Russia's resources. I mean, we we I mentioned that that China is a resource poor country. It is. The Soviet Union is huge, right? Two and a half times the size of the United States. Contains all kinds of minerals, uh, petroleum, all uh, uranium. Most of the uranium, uh, you know, used in the world comes from Russia. Uh, so you've got all these resources there in a in a lightly populated country. China wants to reassemble the old Sino-Soviet bloc. Remember back in the 50s, uh, China was the junior partner to the Soviet Union. And uh, they were working together, and we worried that they would come to dominate all of yeah. Asia. Well, China wants to reassemble that bloc, only it wants to be the dominant power. And I'll tell you what, if, if Putin presides over the dissolution of Russia, if Russia does collapse as a result of this adventure in Ukraine, guess who's going to be coming in to pick up the pieces? China would love to get the Russian Far East back, Vladivostok. It thinks it was Ill- illegally taken from Russia, by the way, using phony maps. A couple hundred years ago, and the Chinese have long memories in that regard. And they like Siberian uh, oil reserves and natural resources as well. So, um, you know, you got to watch out. The, the Russian bear has to watch out uh, for the Chinese dragon on its southern border. No question. Uh, there's so much going on there. It's easy to, to get lost in the shuffle, but just keep your eye on China. They're building up their military a lot faster than ours. And, Steve, this is how naive I am. I believe we can come together, Democrats and Republicans, and cite China as the number one economic and military enemy, that would be a moment of bonding. My last question to you is this. The CHIPS policy, the CHIPS program that uh, they're supposed to deny these, these high-tech CHIPS and access from chi- uh, China of American ingenuity and innovation, is it going to be effective? Well, if it's enforced, it'll be effective. You know, Washington, D.C., as you know, does a lot of uh, uh, propagandizing and, and staging and, uh, and, and, and sets up a lot of Potemkin villages and, and talks a good line. 
but you have to see the action. Now, if we do deny technology, if we do deny the chips, if we do deny American engineers uh, the, the opportunity to go to China and work for Chinese companies, which is part of the chips program, by the way, uh, then, then the Chinese program will shut down. Because the one thing that the Chinese Communist Party cannot do, it cannot innovate. It cannot innovate because it doesn't protect intellectual property. Uh, why design something in China when you can steal something from the United States or, or buy a chip from the United States and, and avoid the cost of research and development? So if we can cut off that flow of ingenuity, uh, the high tech to China, uh, they will fall behind and, and we can win this conflict. Absolutely. We have to. Uh, the world needs us to win. Uh, they just don't know it yet. Stephen Mosher, thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, I'll take your calls. And then Congressman Dan Crenshaw, we're about 30 minutes away from a big vote in the House. Dan Crenshaw thinks Republicans should get in line. Is flabbergasted they're not. He'll expand on that when we come back. But your call's next. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show, the 2023 version. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. And also, welcome to Talk Radio 95.3 WRSC. Uh, WRSC 95.3 in uh, Belfonte, Pennsylvania. Monday through Friday, you'll be carrying us from uh, live for three hours. We appreciate that. Uh, I should uh, should get the right pronunciation. Belfont, I believe, Pennsylvania. So look forward to having you on a part of our family of uh, stations. We've got a lot of great stations in Pennsylvania. It is a huge state. Uh, we need them all. Also, Kevin McCarthy has just spoken in front of the press. He looked very direct. He's determined to have this vote. He's already moved into the Speaker's office. I think he's done giving in. I think he got some blowback from conservatives who said, wait a second, you gave in to these other detractors' demands without even checking with us? It's not a good sign. You're supposed to check with us on all rules and be a leader. So by giving in for people that are being the squeaky wheel, he kind of ticked off some others. But I'm sure that could work itself out. So he's about 14. He can only lose four votes. He's lost five going in. A letter shed another nine Another uh, eight or nine said they can't sign off on him yet. But Scott Perry said this morning on Fox and Friends, I didn't say I'm a hard no. I'm a no now, but not forever. So there's got to be pressure on them to get in line. McCarthy might not be perfect, but who was? You didn't like Newt, you got rid of Newt. You didn't like Boehner, you got rid of Boehner. Ryan got the job, says, listen, I've had it. Now you got McCarthy. Give him the shot. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I have the record for the longest speech ever on the floor. I don't have a problem getting a record for the most votes for speaker, too. Thank you all. Well, I don't I don't I don't see how a few people, maybe it's five, maybe it's 20, sit because they want a gavel that they can't earn by the conference of themselves. That would be interesting to me. That's not what the constituents voted him for. Wow. And you heard uh, McCarthy, if you see his face, he, he looks uh, really focused and he understands. I think he, he's kept his cool the whole time. You got to. It doesn't pay to lose your temper. But behind the scenes, evidently, tempers are flying. Chip Roy uh, evidently was cursing back at other members of the Republican caucus that said, if you don't vote with McCarthy, you should lose your, uh, your chairmanship or seats on committee. And he fired back 
What is actually going on behind going on behind the scenes? Let's ask another Texas congressman. Dan Crenshaw joins us now, Energy and Commerce Committee, but he could be chair. Uh, he could be chairman of Homeland Security with his uh, SEAL background. He's right up his alley and his Ivy League master's degree. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Great to be with you. So what's going on behind the scenes? He was pretty fired up, Kevin McCarthy. Well, everybody's pretty fired up. Um, we just had a long conference meeting, and uh, grievances were aired. And I, I, you know, this, this whatever, it's five or 20 holdouts. I don't think they're prepared for the intensity of the animosity that's coming their way. Some of them think they'll be sidelined. Some of them think they'll not get the committees they want. It'll be much worse than that. Um, they were not prepared for it. And there was a couple of things that stood out to me. Um, they think they're special. I think they're special. Trip Roy was upset because he had to leave the microphone after he'd been there for three to four minutes. Everyone else who gets to go up during conference gets one minute, and then they're gaveled out. I only got one minute. Everybody else gets one minute. Everybody else, by the way, in this, in this conference has to go raise money. They help other members. We help each other win the majority. We do what's necessary. When we want a committee, we have to build out arguments. Most of us actually build entire booklets. Um, talking about our biographies and why we're the best for a committee and why we should get a specific committee. We all have to do that. But these guys think that they can withhold their vote and then demand, and they've given McCarthy a list of demands, you need to put these members on these committees. So they think they're special. And this is what's infuriating everybody at the conference, especially because these particular sets of people did nothing to help us win the majority. In fact, they were liabilities most of the time. I've told this story over and over again. Bob Good, who, de- who defeated an incumbent a couple of years ago, but is a terrible candidate, needed millions from McCarthy to win his general election. And then he says he can't vote for McCarthy because it took McCarthy three weeks to call him after his election. Can you, can, Brian, can you, as a man, can you imagine saying that publicly? No. I mean, I, I can imagine a 13-year-old girl saying it. Right. But this is the kind of children that we're dealing with. Bob Good's a nobody. But, but this is his time. He gets, he gets to – somebody gets to talk about him, and they're so happy about that. So this is what's infuriating people. The other infuriating thing is that there's, it's now clear to everyone that they have no real goals and priorities. So when Scott Perry got up and spoke to Mike today, Kevin McCarthy asked him a very simple question. He said, look, Scott, like we've known each other longer than anyone else has known each other in the conference. They've known each other since young Republican days. And he said, what do you need to get to yes? Like, we have gone through everything. We have, we have changed the rules. We've all agreed that, you know, this is actually a decent set of rules. We've worked together. We've, you've gotten most of what you wanted, but that's a negotiation. You can't get everything. Like, what else do you want? And in front of everyone, Scott Perry said he wouldn't say. He said, we wrote your letter. He's like, well, tell us what's in the letter. And then members started yelling, tell us, because this is about us, too. It's not between you and Kevin. You know, what's ironic is they, they, they make Kevin, they don't want Kevin to be a dictator again. That's exactly what they make him. You know, they forget that the rest of the conference also has a say. And this is creating such animosity for them, such animosity. It's narcissism. Narcissism is the belief that you are just more important than everyone else, even, do you, even though you do less to earn that importance. So the names we're talking about, yeah, so I want you to hear what Scott Perry told us this morning on Fox and Friends. The status quo cannot continue. Everybody knows that Washington is broken. 
Let's talk about what we can do to change what that is. I still can vote for Kevin McCarthy if we can come to an agreement that changes the status quo. Okay, then Congressman, the Congressman, Kevin camp. Congressman, so that's number what, one. What no, is, hold on, hold on. What is the one thing you want? The one thing we want is to change how things are done here so we don't have the same outcomes like we just had well, a week and a half that, ago. That's too broad. Congressman, that's too broad. What? At 2 o'clock in the give morning, 4,000 pages. And then oftentimes our leadership in the Republican Party votes with the Democrats. We'll be happy to take anybody that agrees to these things. We'll right. take Jim Jordan. We'll take if Don Bacon's got a better candidate that will agree to these things. Let's let's talk about it. Let's well, do it. But we shouldn't have we don't have to be where we are right now. Right. So so what did you get out of that? He didn't want didn't want Kevin McCarthy to sign an omnibus bill, which he didn't. He said, don't vote for it. Make it a CR. We want to say in the. Uh, in the budget. So exactly. is that what you would you get? What was your takeaway? Well, well, that's exactly my point, right? And that's kind of what he said in conference. He has no answer. He said, we're going to make Washington work. That's what we want. I'm sorry. Get off the campaign trail. Stop speaking in slogans and speak like an adult. And Because that, that, this is how adults speak. Don't, don't, don't tell me about Washington is broken. Look, we all know the taglines you're supposed to repeat because your consultant told you to say it. That's what's happening right here. These guys are not able to think past the consultant-fed taglines, and they, they refuse to get to it. Because here's the, here's the truth, Brian. They're terrified of governing. They're absolutely terrified of responsibility. Right. They know that in reality, governing sucks. It, it does mean compromise, especially when you've got a Senate that's controlled by Democrats and a so, president. So, Dan, that's the whole thing. Did I think the average American is sick of no compromise. There's people who never want you to agree that every, every Democrat has terrible ideas and every Republican has genius ideas. But then that's, that might be true. But then how do you govern? How do, I, how do I get the country forward? So they say, well, in the past, Kevin's been too willing to negotiate. All right. Uh, number one, he's never been speaker before. Number two, who, who has it right? So was it Paul Ryan? Paul Ryan will say, no, I'm out. I quit. Was it Newt Gingrich? Well, Newt Gingrich walked away. John Boehner, you forced him out in 2015. Not you, but they forced him out in 2015. I don't know. Nancy Pelosi had a harder job trying to wrangle in the squad, you would think, because they disagree so obviously. But they kept it. They worked it out. It's the nature of governance. You know, if you don't like a democracy and you want a dictatorship, then by all means, ask people for a dictatorship, which is what they want. You know, they, they want to be the dictator, and they'll move, they'll move, they'll move the goalposts incessantly. What's funny is, you know, you know the, the omnibus bill they are talking about was under Trump. So they were mad that McCarthy made deals in order to get Trump a bill that he could sign. You know, and that, that's the irony of these complaints. So, so, it's like, so I, I joked during that conversation, well, when McCarthy was asking him what he wanted, and then he lists these things from the past, and I said, hey, guys, I figured out what he wanted. He wants a time machine. He wants a time machine, and he wants to make you do different things in the past, things that were probably impossible to do. So this is completely unrealistic, and it's getting ridiculous. And so we're not sure where we're at. Right. We're not sure where so we're how at. close are you to a vote, 20 minutes? I'm walking there as we speak. So I want you to, while you walk there, listen to what Will Hurd said today. Cut to. This shouldn't be this difficult, right? This is this the, the problem that we're going to see play out tomorrow at high noon on the House floor is is a problem of leadership that goes back a years, right? The fact that the Rep- Republicans in Congress haven't been able to define what the GOP stands for and that we only define ourselves on the things that we don't want and the things that we don't that we hate uh, that has what's caused this problem that's why there was no red wave which should have happened 
in 2022. Uh, this is why he has such a narrow uh, margin of effort. How do you feel about that? Well, there's a lot of reasons for, for 2022, and it's, it's a longer conversation, Brad. He, he, he's not wrong. You do have to say what you're for. Now, now I would suggest that that's exactly what McCarthy and the rest of us did with, with the commitment to America. There, there's a lot more. People get people get all flustered. They say there's no detail in it. Well, we, we have to talk about it in 30-second sound bites, so you're not hearing the details. But I promise you there's a ton of legislation that's actually behind it. We absolutely stand for things. Um, and that's what we're trying to do. If McCarthy becomes speaker today, you know what the first bill that we vote on is going to be? It's going to be repealing the funding for the 87,000 IRS agents that everybody's so pissed about. That seems like a good priority. Can, and you can be sure that the other priority is going to be the border right away. But we can't even form our committees. We can't even swear in members until we actually have a speaker. And in fact, what people don't realize, too, what these guys are doing by, by blocking McCarthy is, is ensuring that a Pelosi-appointed clerk re retains power of the House. That's, right. that's, in, what, unless that's it's, what's happening. But so, Dan, do you think there's a chance there is a strategy? Let's bring it to the absolute brink. Is there uh, – because Jim Jordan came out and said uh, McCarthy moved on some of the procedures and rules, and we think we got to yes, and then he was disappointed to find out I didn't. Do you know don't, – don't be afraid of losing us in nuance. Is there something tangible that you could maybe bore us with that they want? We can't figure it out. I mean, again, McCarthy asked that, that question point blank to, to Scott Perry, who's kind of leading the charge on the letter, right? So there's different categories. There's, there's five members who say it's impossible for them to vote for McCarthy. For them, it's very personal, it seems. Um, it, it's, it's hard to get real answers out of them either. And then there's the other nine or so that, that have their list of demands. And most of those demands have been met and worked out in good faith. And then when they're at that point, McCarthy asks them, what more do you want? And they won't say. And so it, this, this, this is very telling, right? This is telling about the intentions here. The intentions are not anything good for the people. The intentions are pure notoriety. It's one of the most disgusting, narcissistic things that I've seen since I've been up here. It really is. Right. Because we have tried in good faith to pull out what the intentions are. Do you want something for your district? Are you demanding that we vote on something that would benefit your constituents? Is that what you want? And they say, no, it's not what we want. What we want is a headline. What we want is more airtime. We want people to keep asking us these questions. Because some of these guys, like some of these guys, you obviously know their names. But some of these guys, you've never heard of them. And they want to be heard of. They just want more airtime. They want people to ask them why they're doing what they're doing and who they're going to vote for. That's all they want. It really is as shallow as that. I wanted to believe something different. But the more I see, the more I hear them speak, the more they answer questions or refuse to answer questions, the more apparent – and also the more fundraising emails we see from them on a day like today, the more apparent it becomes that their intentions are not right. pure. They're not for the people. They're purely self So I'll give you some names. Andy Biggs, Matt Gates, Matt Rosendale of Montana, Ralph Norman of South Carolina – who says he wants to see details and how he's cutting spending. I, why don't you write up a plan why you're going to cut spending? Bob Good well, of Virginia. You know, you know how ridiculous that, that, that particular – sorry to interrupt yeah. you. Do you know how ridiculous that particular demand was? So he wanted to demand that McCarthy um, uh, commit to a particular budget set forth by the Republican study committee. Good budget, no doubt. But McCarthy's like, that's the – op. You, you told me not to be a dictator. That is being a dictator. 
My job is to allow the committees to create a exactly. budget, to allow the budget committee. Like, you can't make me say that. And I don't even have the power to do that. And that was, and it's a very good response. The, the thing is, is like, these guys don't think through their demands. They don't think through their demands. Bob Good, I mean, he literally got up and said, I'm mad because Speaker McCarthy didn't call me for three weeks after I was elected. Right. He is, that is as petty well, as that. Well, let me ask you, too. Like, Eli Crane, a, 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 a Navy SEAL, why wouldn't, uh, why can't people, uh, or Ryan Zinke, who appeared a million times with him, why can't Morgan Luttrell, who appeared a million times with him, as a block to, they wanted to get into the House? They got into the House. Why is Eli Crane a holdout? Why can't he be pressured by his peers? And like you. Because he's pressured by his other peers, for all I can tell. He won't talk to us about it. He won't talk to us about it. It's one of the saddest things that um, that the first thing he does is spit in the face of four frogmen um, who he served with up here. Refuses to even give us a solid explanation. Says his district doesn't want to vote for McCarthy. And I said, you know, me and Morgan Luttrell share Montgomery County in Texas. Montgomery County statistically is the most conservative county in Texas. You know how many phone calls and emails I've gotten about the speaker's race? Zero. This is not the priority of the American people. Right. The priority of the American people is to be effective, to fix the border, to battle the Mexican drug cartels, to stop the fentanyl crisis. The priorities of the American people are getting our economy back on track, our supply chains back on track. Stop attacking success. Start rewarding it. Stop giving free money away so that people don't work. There are, I, I mean, I can give you a million simple but, but, things. But, but, Dan, part of leadership is not pleasing everyone, doing the right thing, and in this case for the country. So there's going to be times where Dan Crenshaw is upset at Kevin McCarthy who doesn't agree with him. So what? If it happens exactly. over a period of time, then that needs to be addressed. But you have a place. <laughs> work the best you can. You work your way up, become more influential, and then maybe they got to come to Dan Crenshaw and they got to work through Morgan Luttrell because of the power and fame that they and Jim Jordan, who no one knew four years ago, who just outworked well, Brian, so many people like you. You're exactly. you're everywhere. Brian, Brian, how did you make it up to your level at Fox News? Did you do it by threatening people and, and alienating? Wouldn't have gotten people? hired. Yeah, you wouldn't have been hired. And, and then they let there. go. You just don't do it. You just try to outwork people and, and outproduce. So, Congressman, last thing. Can I get a prediction from you before I let you go? How many sure. votes? I'll do my best. How many votes does he get? I have, geez, I've got this – is, this is the one you – know, I can answer a lot of questions. This one, I, I have no idea. All right. I really have no idea. Um, we will find out shortly, and I do have to go so that I can give you that answer. <laughs> go get him, Dan. Uh, Dan Crenshaw, right. thanks so much for bringing us right to the Capitol steps. Unbelievable. Uh, actually, in the building, uh, right before a vote. And, and uh, let's give him credit. He, you might not agree with him. You might not want Kevin McCarthy. But at least you have a congressman from Texas conservative who says, hey, listen, he's my guy. He brought us here. I'm going to back him, and I'm going to tell you exactly how I'm disappointed in my party. Nobody talks like that anymore. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. A uh, couple of minutes here. Just special thanks to WRSC 95.3 FM, Belfont, Pennsylvania, carrying us live three hours. Uh, thanks so much, guys. Talk Radio 95.3. We appreciate being part of it. I want to hear from all you callers out there. And, in fact, the first call from 95.3, we'll get a book. If, if we can 
if you don't mind putting the label on, Pete, and I have a padded envelope, I have a few extra, we'll get the President Freedom Fighter. I'll sign my uh, the new paperback that was bestseller for nine weeks and get it out to you. So uh, I hope to hear from everybody in Pennsylvania. William was on WTRC in Indiana. Hey, William. Hey, Brian. Happy New Year to you. Thanks for taking my call. You know, I, I told Pete, I'm like, this is just unbelievable. Here we go again. It was great hearing you, your conversation with Dan Crenshaw. I hadn't heard any of that before, but what I had told Pete was, here we go again, all over. It's what happened to all for one and one for all, and all being the country of the United States, the greatest country in the world. All these people are looking out for their own wants and what their own needs are or whatever, or what they think their need is. And unfortunately, we're going to continue to suffer. I mean, how crazy is this that they can't come to an agreement? This is just asinine. I don't get it. I mean, to me, it was much more understandable under Pelosi. If you can't sit down with AOC because they're so different, she's so disrespectful towards people that have been there, and she knows so little and doesn't understand that she knows so little. But uh, I will say that I understood that more than I can this. I mean, Chip Roy is a conservative. He's gay. He's a great guy. What is going on? You're upset about an omnibus from three years ago? Donald Trump endorsed Kevin McCarthy. Why are you madder than Donald Trump? The omnibus was stuck to him. The minorities voted for it. The, the, uh, the majority voted for it. Unbelievable. It's frustrating even to talk about. We'll see what happens today. Vote shortly. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.